Hi, Charles. Hello. Please. Hi, Mark. <laughs> Hi, Jay. As I was saying, uh, Charles, this you have been on the list uh, for a bit now. I know of at least a few people who have been who've reached out and said they're very excited about you being on the show this week. Uh, we have Charles Haywood from the Worthy House on uh, as a guest. Uh, Charles, do the do the intro thing if you want, um, and we'll get right into uh, a few uh, a few things that have been uh, that have been on our minds. Sure, I'm Charles Haywood. I write at theworthyhouse.com, where I write book reviews and other things. Even the book reviews, though, are really kind of my own thoughts masquerading as book reviews. So I write on a variety of topics, mostly politics and history and related things. And uh, for some reason, people seem to like these writings, so I keep doing them. Just give, I'll, I'll give people a, a, a little bit of a taste, because uh, this popped up in my feed, because I do follow you over on The Worthy House. Uh, links in the description below. Uh, this is from the Christian Orthodox Political Philosophy, a Theological Approach by Pavlos M. I can't pronounce that last name. I'm not going to even try. Uh, at, at present, institutional Christianity has no power in America. Yes, separation of church and state is both ahistorical and stupid, but even the separation recognizes the dual nature of any society, typically governed in concert by both the secular and the spiritual. But nature abhors a vacuum. So as the power of Christianity has faded, the state has filled the empty space. This imbalance is one of, major is one of the major reasons for our present uh, discontents. Yet individual Christians are still here and still must navigate political waters. Moreover, we can hope that in the future dis uh, dispensation, Christianity may yet again wield power. Thus, the intersection of Christianity and political philosophy, the topic of this short book, is very much worth considering. Uh, I just that just popped up in our feed this week, and I feel like it's apropos for the, some of the conversations we're going to have, uh, especially about James Lindsay. But before we do that, we're going to talk about James Lindsay. Oh yeah, we're going to yeah, talk about not? James Lindsay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark, uh, we we have a long we have a long going uh, sort of dispute over Mark, his virtues. Mark, Mark is a big fan, and I keep telling him he's going to James is just going to break his heart. He's not uh, making it easy. He's he's make, he's he's dealing with some low wattage people there that's all i gotta say <laughs> <laughs> I very we want to touch on your little uh your little dust up with him uh recently but uh charles one of the other things you're known you're known for is talking about uh sort of the rise of caesar um here's a here's a little uh update with our uh, our friend in argentina uh mr mili Milo. uh a little uh, a little hubos rancheros apparently has uh had to uh uh, meet with the Jews um, and do a ceremony. I'll I'll do the text description in a second. But... So apparently, this is known as a spirit transfer. And it goes on for that. Uh, you know, Mille is not known for looking very comfortable, but uh, but he's looking looking even more uncomfortable than no than normal. Um, apparently, this is uh, the text reads: the new Argentinian president performs a strange ritual with Rabbi David Pinto. In this ritual, they light a candle with six wicks to usher in an extra soul, 
and to mourn the loss of the dead soul. The Zohar states that this is a real soul exchange and not symbolic. The next step in the Talmud tells us that special spices are used to rid the stench of hell from the death of the old soul as they enter the new. They end the ritual by reciting a prayer and asking for abundance while their cup overfloweth with wine, extinguishing the flame with their newfound prosperity. Please explain why this is not witchcraft. Uh, Charles, (laughs) any thoughts? Well, uh, any religious ritual can be coded as witchcraft to non-believers. I mean, I don't know what the Zohar is. Uh, and I actually wrote a lengthy piece on Second Temple Judaism tied to the Second Temple like a year ago on the difference between rabbinic Judaism and Second Temple Judaism. Not that I'm an expert or anything, just t- touching on it. But uh, again, any religious belief can be coded as witchcraft to people who are hostile to that religion. And I, that's mm. a surprise. I have no idea. I, I don't pay much attention to this Argentinian guy because I expect like all other supposedly based populist leaders, he'll be a total disappointment, you know, commie when he actually starts doing something. Um, it, it strikes me as th- this kind of criticism uh, doesn't strike me. I'm not quite sure why he's so uh, philo-Semitic uh, in, in this kind of slightly odd way. It, the witchcraft angle does not seem like a, a particularly profitable line of attack. No, neither do I. I mean, it, it is strange. And from, a, from an Orthodox Christian perspective, um, I know Charles, you're a, you're a baptized Orthodox Christian. I'm a, I'm observing. Um, and from our perspective, this is obviously like, it's fairly demonic behavior. Like we can look at that and go, well, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's not the, one of the things we say on our, on our show is the ritual and reality are one that which you ritualize is what that, which you ritualize creates a reality and you live in that reality and the reality substantiates the rituals. So by partaking in the ritual, you are substantiating a reality in which these things are real. Well, um, it's, it's like, right. It's like a, 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 the very unwise practice of of invoking demons or inviting demons. Again, about, I, I, whether this soul transfer thing is an accurate description, I have no idea. That stri- it strikes me a little bit weird and edging towards the uh, the demonic, though not speci- specifically demonic. That certainly sounds unwise. But again, I have no idea whether any of that is an accurate description. Yeah, I'm assuming there's a lot that could be lost in translation. I mean, even me and Jay sort of have our our differences because I'll do things. Um, I think there are a lot of things. I'm not Orthodox, but I was raised Christian, sort of you know, base basic uh, uh, fun, fundamentalist, evangelical, Protestant, uh, that whole non-denominational thing that's very common uh, in the Southern U.S. at least. And but I'll, I think that there are a lot of things tangentially outside of Christianity that aren't necessarily heresies. Um, like like somewhat buddhist type behaviors meditation i don't think meditation even though it's not specifically preached of it's not exactly heretical either and there are a lot of sort of practices like i have a hamza which is like the hand which comes from old i don't know where something around india okay. uh, because that got passed on through jewish households for a long time and i don't i don't necessarily think that it's heretical even though it could speak to something spiritual esque and I think there are a lot of things like that where it's kind of like, I, I don't this, know, it's a gray. You get this with yoga, right? It, yeah. it, you know, yoga, it, the problem is like, you know, yoga is different things to different people. It's some, for some people, it's stretching exercises to improve your back. But once you get mm-hmm. into the breathing things and the Orthodox do people, and this is not confined to Orthodox, this is generally recognized, my understanding that meditation combined with breathing exercises 
can create a variety of mental effects indistinguishable from psychedelic drugs and is therefore inherently very dangerous, especially mm -hmm. if you're trying to put yourself in a receptive mood for influences which are not strictly physical. Uh, right. so I'm, but at the same time, of course, you, you can, I, I don't, it sounds a bit bad, but it's, it's not, uh, it, it's common accusation. You know, the For Christians who believe in transubstantiation, that is the, the bread and wine are, change into the actual body and blood of Christ. I mean, to an outsider, that looks like cannibalism. So, you know, <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah. it's not meant to say that I, that I agree with that, obviously. But if, if you're if you're an outsider, especially if you're a hostile outsider looking for looking to make hay, you can see why that might might be a line line of discussion that you'd want to favor. Right. Well, that's like like meditation. I think there's a there's a value to like because Jason was saying he has back problems. I was like, well, do some yoga. I've been doing it for 20 years because I, I started doing it because I had thrown my back out yeah. and I found those stretches released the muscles in the back of your leg and it was great for my back and breathing properly. I don't see, you know, you're not exactly inviting demons and same thing with quieting your mind, learning to just just it, if you studied a little bit, it's watching the thoughts and learning how to. Okay. You know, separate yourself from your thoughts without going into transcendental, you know, I've never all that stuff about it, but presumably you could do yoga, quiet your thoughts and say the Jesus prayer, you know, exactly. Jesus, right. God have mercy on me. And then never, you know, I, I, whatever the, the Indian woo woo stuff you hear about occasionally with yoga, you just, it you know, doesn't, doesn't, isn't relevant. Yeah. yeah well, I come from the Ukrainian, uh, slash, I guess, Russian tradition. Um, and from our perspective, uh, from from everyone I've heard uh, from priests and, and church fathers' perspective on this, um, I think uh, Saint Piosos uh, says talks about this as well. Is that you can the the danger is this is that you when you're practicing someone else's spiritual uh, ritual, whether you're intending to or not, you are practicing a foreign religion's ritual. You are you will be invoking those spirits. Uh, and you don't have to intend it. You can be like, it's just a stretching exercise. It's like, yeah, but it's tied to a spiritual practice. And by, and by partaking the spiritual practice, you are partaking the spiritual practice. So, uh, you, uh, my, my thing is this, like, uh, <laughs> I've said this on the program. I have this outside sized fear of being eaten. <laughs> so I don't. Is there such a thing? That's legitimate fear. <laughs> no, no, it's legitimate. But I, I take it. I take it to the next level. For example, like when I, uh, I'm living in Australia now, but I was living in Canada. Like I didn't go camping or going to like Algonquin Park and stuff like that because like there's bears there. And be like your chances of getting eaten by bear. I'm like, da, 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 da. Yeah, okay. I that's me in the ocean. I don't go. I won't. No, exactly. I don't go to the ocean because there's sharks there, and I. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're like your chance of getting eaten by a shark, you're saying there's a chance. They, here's here's why I have a 0% chance. I stay on the land. There, unless there's land sharks, I will not get eaten by a shark or bitten or nibbled on or anything like that. I just, I, I say no. I take the same kind of uh, context with demons. Like, I don't go anywhere where their demon might be. Like, I don't take mushrooms. I don't, like, screw around with any of that stuff. I, I just feel like you're just, you're just, you're just inviting a potentiality of something really horrible. Like, the downside is so bad Right. I mean, what's the upside? Like, you know, what do you, do you, do you need to stretch like this way? Like, do you, can well, you just like, get, I don't know, but I, I will say that my wife saved her back with, uh, with yoga. And when she was, you know, turned down for surgery, it was so bad she was looking at surgery. So I don't know enough about yoga, not having gotten into it, but I did, uh, briefly try some Peloton classes in yoga and none of them struck me as having the least resemblance to a religious, 
uh, religious uh, kind of thing. So, I mean, the question is, at what point does it become so? And this is, this strikes me as a classic example of something to discuss with your priest or spiritual father. The the what point does the origin become so attenuated as to be irrelevant? And the answer can't be never, because uh, you know everything is is can be traced back to something. Um, so, I, I, well, I see. I, I agree generally with the line of thought. Uh, you know, I, I do go in the water, and when I am afraid of bears, I carry a uh, you know fifty caliber handgun. And uh, oh, look, look, Charles, I mean, here's the thing: I'm not, I'm not telling people to live like I live. The point is, is a good one. I, I don't. Yeah, know. it's the happy medium, I think, between not being scared of things, but also strongly, as the Bible says, guard your mind. Yeah, right. Like right. to op- have an open mind, but not so open that it falls out, kind of deal. I guess. If you have a good spiritual father, that person can discern whether you're the kind of person who might be susceptible to this for right. some reason or another. And so, for example, someone who's particularly prone to malign exterior influences should probably be warned away from it. Whereas someone who perhaps is perceived as a bit more robust, maybe maybe that's a different inquiry. I mean, uh, you know, like a lot of things that requires discernment, which obviously can be a euphemism for <laughs> random selection and other bad things. But w- discernment you know, usually in the right hands is important. Well, since you use the D word, let's pull up. Uh, let's pull up a little bit of uh, Charles Haywood on uh, James Lindsay. Um, D word so, discourses, <laughs> discernment. Uh, where do we start with this? Let's just to start from the top, and we'll try to go back into the thread. Uh, time to remind. This is you, by the way. This is Charles Haywood uh, writing. Time to remind everyone now that conceptual James uh, James Lindsay has come out fully as uh, has come out fully as violently and viciously anti-Christian of his miserable failed attempts in June to gaslight Christians into giving up both political power and their political goals. Uh, and that's in response to a thread response that she said um, that uh, this thread by James Lindsay has aged poorly. He predicted a summer of left triumph with homosexual rights as hammer as uh, conservative Christianity will largely, will largely politically nullified in the process we're in a long way from winning, but the ro- but the regime has taken some solid body blows, uh, taking his strategic uh, sorry his taking his strategic advance of preemptive surrender would not have been the right move. It's never the right move, and I'll just read James's first little bit of here. Uh, we can go through this as we talk about it. Uh, this is back from uh, May twenty of uh, this year. Pride officially kicks off in twelve days. Here's a preview of political warfare attack that's coming. Pride versus homophobic Christian nationalism will be a big theme. This unconventional warfare narrative, ICBM, has already been launched, so you should start preparing now. Okay. Hmm. That's a lot. <laughs> but I just want to lay the groundwork for this. Uh, we can come back to this if we need to. Uh, Charles, if I could... If I could yep, even sure. jump in there, just for someone like myself who's somewhat uninitiated in this dispute, um, and a James Lindsay fan, well, let me caveat that. So I'm, I'm a, I've, I've been listening to new discourses for a while. I'm a huge fan of the series he did on groomer schools. I think as someone who is um, going to excavate and diagnose certain elements within the left, within what they're doing, I think he's one of the best out there. And I've, I've trailed off in my, my followship of him. But I did catch an episode or two where he was going after the Christian nationalist movement. He was talking about the wolves. I'd never heard of them before. Um, the hour one he did on me and me alone. 
No. Okay. One in which he like goes, he sounds like a crazy man. I mean, it's really funny. I didn't listen to the whole thing because who has time for that? Even at two, but he did a whole one on me. Wow. Okay. So yeah, can you so can you can you give anyone sort of like the TLDR like from someone like myself who's really a fan of him for that other stuff and has no idea what's going on on this side? I mean, I don't know a ton about James Lindsay. And, and I, that, the initial thing was just a throwaway comment. Because I don't know who this guy is. I just saw that. I'm like, well, this age poorly. And I thought he would say, yeah, okay, sorry. But instead, his, his immediate response was, yeah, no. and you know, your mom. I mean, like just a low wattage, even though he doesn't seem to be, <laughs> seem to be low intelligence, though. It's hard to say. But his analytical stuff seems fine. He does have a, a following, as you say. But I think he, he doesn't like to be challenged. He doesn't like his, his errors pointed out. And on this one, he seems to have, you know, he's an atheist and opposed to any kind of Christian political power, is my take. Again, though he's in bed with, I think, monetary bed uh, with a bunch of these, some of these evangelicals like James. Yeah, he doesn't mind taking Christian bucks. Yeah, that, that's weird. I don't understand it. Don't care that much. But he, um, he, he, see, he was in some kind of beef with the Christian nationalist types like Stephen Wolf, mm-hmm. uh, who I'm, I'm friendly with. But I mean, I... I I don't know anything about Christian nationalism in the sense of the book that started this all, Wolf's book, which relies heavily on Reformed theology, which is beyond my ken. I mean, I was asked whether I wanted to review it, and I'm like, well, this stuff is just you know, outside of my, my my wheelhouse. And so, I mean, I like to joke that I know nothing about Christian nationalism, though it's like Reese's peanut butter cups, uh, peanut butter and chocolate, two great tastes that uh, are good together, Christianity and nationalism. <laughs> Pretty much the same thing, but it, Lindsay, for some some reason, seems to think that I'm the Christian nationalist, uh, even though that's not really my thing at all. And he did a three hour thing talking about how I was I was Satan and I was coming to subvert things. And then he he got oh, wow. Glenn, he got Glenn back to attack me on his show. Um, you know, it, it, we are I'm currently uh, evaluating. Let's put it this way: evaluating legal options against Glenn Beck. And since I have you know functionally infinite money for such things, I, you know, I, if I were him, I'd be lawyering up. Um, and Lindsay as well, but not, that's neither here nor there. Uh, the, these things are just, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't understand any of it. I don't, I, I, I'm happy to answer questions about it, but the whole thing just seems to me kind of weird and uh, low. Well, I, think, I think the tie into this, and this is, this is where we can branch off of this. Um, we can branch into Christian nationalism, which I think is, is really just a silly thing uh, on, the, on the face of it. Like it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice branding. It's a good marketing tool, but you need a Christian nation and to have Christian nationalism. We, and we don't even have that. So it's like, it's literally, the, the, it's, you're, you're putting the cart before the horse and then driving and then shooting the horse. Like I don't, <laughs> see, the, I don't see the point in this. Um, so, but it's, I think it's interesting. Some of the, some of the things you've talked about, Charles is like, Readopting the framing or the or the term "padzemi uh, gauche you're saying "padzemi droit," or in English we're saying "no enemy to no enemy to the left." Now you're saying "no enemy to the right," and I think that's a useful reframing of of some sort of of certain tactics that have been used against. I'll say us, but I mean, I I don't even like using the the framing. I've, I've I've decided to to drop the term dissident even because mm-hmm. the dissident right has become uh, you know pardon the French but it's become fucking gay um, <laughs> to the point where it's ineffective. I'm I'm more um, after reading a, a lot more Dugan and, and listening and paying, paying more uncr- uncritical attention to Putin. I'm much more favorable of a of a, of a term like civilizationist. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm pro civilization, even with its 
even with its drop-offs and its trade-offs and all the other problems that comes along with it, I'm interested in thinking of the world in civilizational terms. And I think some people aren't. And that's okay. But we have to stop this pretense of that a civilizational mindset can live with a non-civilizational mindset and be copacetic. Like, these are yeah. two completely different concepts. That, that seems right. I mean, I, I never read any Dugan. I keep people. I have all his books. I think, but because I have check out books. check out our reading series on uh, on on uh, the Great Reset versus sorry, the Great Awakening versus the Great Reset. Okay, uh, it's, a, it's a nice little primer. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I, it, it, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, my my no enemies to the right thing is strictly a political tactical thing. That is, you know, the left is the enemy, uh, and defeating the enemy, the left, the enemy is the number one thing, and therefore we shouldn't have enemies to the right. And I've written a whole piece on this, and obviously there's caveats and minutia and, and what have you. I mean, back to Lindsay real quick. I mean, Lindsay, you know, the question is, and this is a live question: Was someone like Lindsay fundamentally a man of the left or fundamentally a man of the right? Right. That was going to be my question. Right. Who, so, who is on the right? Right. Well, they were, since I, I define the left with great precision, and I define the right as, for current purposes, not left. So the left being people, the, the left is, in, in short, uh, those who hew to the ideology birthed in the Enlightenment and first reified in 1789, comprising of the two core principles of uh, unlimited emancipation from all unchosen bonds and forced egalitarianism, both in service of a utopia. And fundamentally, James Lindsay, under that definition, is a man of the left. That mm. is, in, in, in his, he, he doesn't like the left excesses, but like all of these intellectual dark web types and so on, he's just a leftist from 1995 who, uh, who f finds that he can line his pockets by this particular you know, song and dance act. That doesn't mean he's, he's as far left in, in some sense as many other people, but this is a binary distinction. So fundamentally, I would put Lindsay into the enemy camp for these purposes, as odd as that seems, because I agree with him on many issues. Like, I agree mm -hmm. with him. That's good analytical work. And I agree with him on various issues with respect to the left. But fundamentally, he's happy for those people to win. He would far rather have the left win and maybe try to carve out a space for himself where it's not quite so annoying than have the right win. Right. Or uh, you could say, like, he would like the liberals to win. And I think he d draws a distinction between, between the liberals and the who he would see as the far left. But I see a similarity. I don't know if I'm sure you haven't, but we have a long running series called Friend or Fed, where we kind of tackle this issue with specific people and deciding. And I see very a lot of similarities between Lindsay and someone like Jordan Peterson, where it seems like Jordan, again, with someone under that definition would fall on the left and he appeals to people in, in the sort of center right, but his mission seems to be kind of as the the gatekeeper between um, individualism and something like white identity, whereas James Lindsay would be the same for a Christian identity and be making identity and ident stopping identity politics of any form on the right from coalescing. I think it's um, a really good way to put it. I mean, I think, and Peterson was interesting because it looked like he might breach that barrier. But then, of course, he went off the rails. So what right. exactly is going on there is not clear, other than that he's mentally damaged and he's run around like a circus pony by his daughter. Yeah, okay. I like the term oh, drug-addled. Yeah. <laughs> he's Matt, not, he looked like he on the arc to, to uh, go all the way. But I, right before he had his breakdown, I remember listening to a, a debate he had about Marxism with uh, Zizek 
uh, and it was hyped and he just got crushed. I mean, that was even before. I mean, he, he was clearly you know, just had no idea what he was talking about. It was very disappointing. God bless you for trying to actually sitting through uh, anything with, with Zizek. I can't do I it. Can't, no. I can't do it. Yeah. Uh, I, I would prefer him doing in Polish, maybe, because I can understand Polish. So I'd be like, like just do it in Polish, man. <laughs> like, maybe talk like that in Polish, though? I, I, it, it, well, here's the thing. If he does it, it, it would sound fine in Polish. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so that's like, because, uh, sorry, when Jason was going over the topics that he plans on going over with you today, with me last night, it made me think, like, so basically, um, kind of everyone at the Daily Wire, I mean, Dave Rubin comes to mind, figures like this, who are, yes. you know, in their gay relationships, buying children and being uh, conservative. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, so does that right? So, because I'm like, no enemies on the right. I, I have a hard time putting him. Then he's definitely just by just by virtue of being an enemy, he must therefore be on the left. Yeah, I mean, well, it's 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 because he's on the left that he he's an enemy. That is, he fundamentally and Ruben, I haven't studied. I mean, I don't really follow follow Ruben at all. But certainly, uh, the, the behaviors you describe you know, should put him in prison in any decent society. And um, right. you know, and so. He, it, it, it becomes a bit of a problem and you don't want to get lost in the weeds because you can say, well, you know, that's true, Haywood, but look at these other things he do, he do, and, you know, those are no different than the things you want. So he must be on the right. That's not true. It's a question of what your fundamental premises are and whether your fundamental premises taken to the logical conclusion lead to the victory of the left. Uh, and the answer is frequently for these types, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, angry someone just brought up the uh brought up lex friedman the uh, perennial uh which i just tweeted out today it was uh, i think lex friedman is the uh it's a figment of the fed's imagination who I mean, is like, lex friedman i mean i keep seeing these references to him but who exactly he's, he's actually not a person he's <laughs> an, uh, an entity that arose from nowhere and quickly gained massive unexplained shut popularity up, on the wrote a russian jew uh, Russian Soviet Jew, like uh, you grew up in the Soviet Union, um, is apparently an MIT professor, but not really. A software engineer works on AI, but that's really sketchy. Talks to Elon Musk and all the all the cadre of people, um, and uh, wears a wears a dark suit, very fed looking. Yeah, uh, what's I think what people are mystified by him is like kind of what I said in the tweet is that. I'm pretty sure that the only people who watch Lex Friedman are Lex Friedman's guests. Like it doesn't make any sense to me on a podcast level as someone where it's, it's, you know, it's a yeah. show that we're, we're trying to do this professionally. And I'm like looking at like, I don't even know how you do this. Like, I don't know who this is for. Like what, what market is this providing? Yeah. He's it's, the animatronic well, love child of Michael Malice and Blair White. Wow. Is, uh, uh, well, maybe he's, it's like the dead internet theory. Maybe he is the ultimate product of the dead internet. I think he's a personification of it. I think so. You know, so we're talking about Lindsay's uh, failed predictions here about about you know the pride being used as an ICBM for Christian nationalism, yada yada yada, which didn't really happen. No. Uh, the Bud Lights opposite happened. Yeah, the Bud Light scandal kind of overtook it. Um, if anything, I think that was the only real thing I remember from last year's Pride. I, yeah, his prediction was that Christians would be totally destroyed this past summer as a political force. I mean, totally destroyed. Like you would not be able to say, he implied that you basically, if you said you were Christian, 
you would it'd be like saying you know, I I I sacrificed goats to Adolf Hitler. So you you know, you know something like that. Like wait, so you, far, you wait, 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 so wait, wait. far, Charles. Wait, you're, you're saying you don't sacrifice goats? No. Have I been doing this? Have I been doing this wrong? No goats, no chickens that don't even like Adolf. Uh, I wish I realized our guest list. (laughs) (laughs) So I mean, it was just, it was just, but the prediction was. I mean, I'm kind of harping on this. I know you probably want to move on, but the prediction was was so laughably bad. But I just did that throw throwaway comment on it because I was bored one night. I didn't really knew who James Lindsay was, and it blew up because he reacted so. You know, negatively because he was so butthurt about being so wrong. And he started retconning this thing that I, the reason it didn't happen was because everyone heeded my warning. I'm like, it is like, like I am just so stupid. I just, he just, he just should oh, stick he, to he, he made two comments, it. actually. He made two comments, which I thought was funny. Um, I don't have, I mean, I don't have it here, but he, yeah, he's basically said that. And then he also said that, oh, watch the response will be from, uh, from alt-right, dissident right, whatever you want to, whatever the term you used, mm-hmm. uh, we'll try, or they're going to try to silence me. I'm like, what? Like, what, 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 what boogeyman power do you think we have? If I, if I had the power to silence James Lindsay, I would have done it like 12 times or I would have just done it for fun. <laughs> like, I've been like, no click. The weird thing is that I don't follow him and he hasn't blocked me. Apparently he's notorious for blocking people. And I have, he has like 400,000 followers on Twitter and I have like 20,000, but I get more engagement than he does typically. So I think of his followers are bots and he, he, his, his influence is kind of you know, fictional, but what do I know? Possibly. So, yeah, if we can get off Lindsay. So I think you've done a good a good job of defining what what puts someone on the left. So what would put someone on the, because it kind of takes a large swath of people out of contention. So I'm always, I'm always weary when I came across your idea of no enemies to the right. I was like, great, what we need right now is allies. But then definitionally, we kind of are removing a lot of people who are at least popular right now in the, in the, you know, whatever you want to call it, the zeitgeist, I guess, like the, the people that are being pushed are all basically on the left. So who's on the right? How do you define that? How would you know someone? Well, I mean, you can't have alliances, temporary alliances with people on the left, and that's that's a different topic. But as far as who's on the right, I mean, the, the, the kind of first order definition is not on the left, as I say. But more specifically, and this is kind of a necessary consequence of the first thing, but is looking at it from a different angle, People on the right are inherently people who are based in reality. So, you know, reality has a right-wing bias. And so th- that means people who are not believers in any path to a utopia, who see the world as it actually is, rather than as something that needs to be needs to be changed, that is things that can't be changed, like human nature and, and, and you know, other things that are the permanent things, as the mm-hmm. late Russell Kirk used to say. So that covers a very broad range of ground. But it, the one thing that tends to unify the right is an understanding for, a grasp of, and an appreciation of reality, which has co- always been completely missing on the left, w- which has always been looking for a the creation of a utopia that is different from the reality that exists with us now. Right. So would you agree? Because I've felt for a long time that there seems to be almost like a self-filtering mechanism that keeps actual conservative right-wingers out of the spotlight to some degree because they tend to be like farming mm-hmm. or you know doing things that are not going to be media savvy and so it ends up being tough especially if you're looking for 
uh, you know, flag bearers or people who would lead the charge kind of thing. It's it's uh, it's like like the libertarian phrase, you know, that uh, getting libertarians to do anything is like herding cats. It seems to be similar in a way to that in that they're not going to be the kind of people who are going to go out and seek attention because they're busy raising a family. Well, it's not even that. I mean, it is that definitely that is. But it's because people on the right being based in reality, get their meaning from the things that are also based in reality, family, yeah. work, what have you. Whereas people on the left tend to get their meaning from thinking that they can change the world to be something totally different from what it is and has been. And that's just, I mean, if that's a, in some ways, a much more powerful way to get meaning because you can wake up every morning seeing yourself as a, as a unbelievably uh, important crusader who's so much better than everybody else. And you, you, you not just measure your, your own meaning, you measure your own meaning relative to the other people, you know, the right wing people who are you know, busy doing things based in reality. And it's unfortunate, but you know, they'll all have to be killed in order to, to get to the utopia, but that's okay because, you know, I'll be able to have power over them and everybody likes power being left wing contributes to a variety of internal mental processes that are very powerful and make people want to continue being left-wing, all of them pernicious, wanting to have power over other people, wanting to change reality and so on. Whereas people on the right have none of that. I mean, mm -hmm. none. I mean, you, you don't, uh, there are occasionally, they have in a few ideologies on the right that have, have promised massive change. And you, you can, you can kind of, see that, that that has some of the same thing. But in the modern world, there's no right-wing ideology that says, this is how I get my meaning, by being right-wing. So it, hmm. it's, that's always a problem for the people on the right, because they just don't have the shock troops that the left can produce. So that makes me think the question then, because I've always sort of thought, yeah, that being on the right in, in some way is trying to alter yourself to match reality as closely as possible, whereas being on the left would be trying to alter reality to match you. Yes. Considering that, then would any movement that seeks political change somewhat definitionally then be left wing? No, because political change is not the same thing as changing reality. Mm, okay. Political change is merely changing, you know, at its kind of broadest level, is changing the structures or forms of governance. And you can imagine doing things like that that are is anti-reality. So for example, saying we can have mass democracy is inherently anti-reality because it's literally never works and it doesn't work for obvious reasons. So, but saying that we should have a different governance structure on a micro level, for example, we should elect people to Congress differently. I mean, there's nothing unreality about that. It's simply a technical change. Charles, we just need the right people. We just need to elect the right people to the right positions and everything will be fine. I, I, I don't know. Vote harder, that's what I say. I thought you were a serious person, Charles. I, I don't know. <laughs> Um, so the reason why I kind of bring up Lindsay and, and all these kind of things too, like, I think propositionally, one of the issues that we are presented with is the left wing, right wing dialectic is withheld within the meta, uh, conversation of liberalism. This is kind of what Dugan and, uh, when we're talking about, uh, thinking on a civilizational level, one of the things that I started going down this path from 2014 where I was a very dyed in the wool, nice little liberal Canadian boy who, you know, believed in democracy and, uh, you know, all that kind of crap. And then I started seeing things that started to break from my concept of, of logical reality. And the more and more I came, I came down that path, 
what I became aware of is that the necessity to break the liberal frame, like you needed to break your brain out of liberalism completely to be able to see it. Even if it is, even if the, if the final analysis is that, is that liberalism is something that is worthwhile to be saved and needs to be, needs to be protected, that's fine. But you need to get outside of it to, in order to examine it. Because while you're inside of it, well, what are you going to do? Like, all how, things, would you, how would you define liberalism in this sense? Uh, I would I, I would define liberalism as everything post sort of the the ideology that came from post enlightenment, the post enlightenment ideology uh, that that has that has essentially galvanized Western civilization. So when we think of Western civilization post enlightenment, we're talking about liberalism, so like uh, individualism, modern. egalitarianism. Yeah, so yeah, I would say from nominalism, I'll 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 I'll, I'll, I'll agree with uh, with with Dugan here. He 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 puts it at Occam, where he says that normal that nominalization led to individualization, which led to liberalism. Like those those three terms are are you can't separate them. There's no there's no room between them. There when you say one, you're saying the other. Yeah, I've heard the the accusation against Occam. I mean, maybe, maybe not. I don't know enough about it, but certainly from a back to your term, civilizational level, those things only came into into actual political form as a result of the Enlightenment. Right, and I don't think you get globalism, for example, without liberalism. You you that it's a it's a natural progression to it. Like there have been, let's say, in the in sort of the evolutive tradition of of of, of traditionalism. Uh, that the the disassociated man, the great man of history, like the the Alexander the Greats, the 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 Julius Caesar, the the uh, the uh, the uh, Augustus, they might think globally in terms of as much land as they can they can procure, but it's still down to the man. Yeah, uh, it's down to an order. It's not down to an ideology, a, a sort of a, an ideology that spans out across uh, beyond time and borders. Like it's it, there's something anti-christian anti-christ about liberalism that needs to be addressed now here and now and i think the the way to do the way forward is breaking that frame so that people can start thinking of thinking of these forms in in different ways like how do we construct a better system well we we have to construct a a, a system outside of liberalism yes. which i don't even know is i don't even know if it's possible for the for westerners to do it might have to come from the east yeah i mean that's hard to say though it, it, Predicting the continuation of the thing that is happening is always a mistake. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard because whenever I think of something, I'm like, okay, how do I bust myself out of the liberal frame? I go to like Saudi Arabia. You know, other than that, like, what what are the living examples of what we'd have other than whatever's left of existing kingdoms? It's not even is there. The Saudis are not becoming infected with this. Which I mean, that does not seem like a safe bet to like adopt liberalism in the waning days of the American empire. But hey, you know, I'm not Saudi. So there you go. Yeah, no, was... well, it, it strikes me as this. It's like, it, and this is something that I think Lindsay and the rest of them keep failing at. Like one of the things I, I did praise Lindsay for was he and Jay Dyer did a whole series or did a talk um, about basically connecting liberalism or sort of like, let's say wokeism to Gnosticism. And there was, there, I think there was a really good, decent thread uh, thread there. Uh, and it seemed like there he was on the verge of at least accepting a spiritual reality to these to these materialistic uh, manifestations, which I thought was a good thing. And then he goes hardline against Christianity and religion because he's still kept in this atheist kind of mindset. Um, what? Sorry, what, I forgot where I was going with this. Um, 
where <laughs> well, let me jump in then because yeah. i i think um with with Lindsay at least sorry i know we keep harping on him and you're not i don't even think you're interested at all <laughs> okay shut up about this guy already um me behind my back anyway go ahead yeah no with me that just it, i'm always struck by what seems to be a bit of thou doth protest too much like i think he's still in his rebellious phase and it, it give it I don't know. I'll put like eight cents on it, but I think at some point he's going to come out and just be, you know, a hardcore. He's going to go, he's going to go harder than Jay here and just, well, hang on. Okay. 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 Let's, this, here's our transition away from Lindsay completely from the rest of this conversation. He made some few predictions. I made a prediction recently and this Charles, I'll put this in your lap and see what you do with it. My prediction is this, that in a very short period of time, and we're already seeing it sort of happen. I can show you video proof of this. Uh, we will move from wokeism. Wokeism is dying. Wokeism was the last gasp of the of the old spirit of the age. We're into a new spirit of the age, which I've dubbed the vengeful sun. Um, this spirit will now begin to manifest as a neo traditional spirit. We're going to start th seeing things go back. Things are going to start feeling very 1945, 1950 very soon, um, and we're going to see guys like blue haired people like Destiny. Turn it turn into some version of Jordan Peterson overnight, and it's going to be. I, my prediction is it's going to be so fast and so immediate that everyone you thought who was a die in the wool progressive will become a neo trad in with the, the slightest little nudge, because it's it's been primed and set, and it and especially with the things going on in Israel, they've realized that they've gone too far that the narrative is is basically have collapsed on the left, and now they need to get it back into some sort of evangelical uh, Christian nominalism, which what? is, to what end? from a Christian perspective, is horrible, but like that's just what's, what's going to happen. Why, though? Uh, I can, I'll answer what I think about the prediction in a second, but like they, assuming there's some they making this decision, what is the end goal there? Uh, well, th that's it. I, I, I'm looking at it from a, from a Girardian mimetics situation. When I say they... I mean, we, I mean, they is as sort of a, uh, there are going to be moderators and, 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 and models who want a desired outcome. There are certainly political actors and people in media and, and, and academia and so forth who want a certain outcome. They will use momentum from movements to acquire that outcome What in, in terms of short-term goals. I think that's what wokeism essentially was, right? A, a way to... Uh, to divide, atomize, and 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 push this this individual process even further, where it's going to swing back formally on the right, is this? It'll, it'll look formally, it'll look like a, a return to Pollyanna uh, neo traditionalism. I, like I like I said, <clears throat> you're going to see all of these. Uh, yeah, it'll be on, it'll be surface level. Like if I yeah, can jump in with my my explanation, I think. And again, I'm just sort of started pondering this idea but uh, because i've experienced a little bit on my end with like kids who are college age and who immediately one day were had changed a lot of their opinions and were giving me shit for not praying the right way and i was like okay well, that was quick and i think it'll be in an attempt to sort of save liberalism like listen instead of getting christian nationalism let's go back to 1950 because i think a lot of whether it be the sort of ashkenazi kazarian uh uh faction seems to put put itself in the same position as the democrats right now where everybody hates them they hate it on the right and they're hated on the left because that sort of generation of zealots that they raised to hate the white man now hates them as well for the same reasons they were told to hate us 
and they're kind of stuck in they're like oh shit this bad plan again which is going to lead to things so maybe it'll just be an attempt to like step back pull back better than suffering total defeat get get back to the keep well, well, it is true that the young historically have changed their opinions overnight. And the example I always give is how basically 80% of the communist youth in Germany changed their allegiance to the Nazis overnight. And this was remarked upon at the time by a variety of people. So young people, meaning teenagers and perhaps up to or even early 20s, but typically younger, are notorious for this kind of ideological, ideological change. That said, I think the prediction is 100% wrong. That is, I don't think any of that is going to happen. I, I mean, it may be the case. I don't know who this destiny character is, but yeah, but I, I have seen some references to him. But the a liberal, yeah. But the 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 left project is ongoing, has been ongoing for hundreds of years, and it's aside from its ideological beliefs, its number one belief is that history is on its side, and the arrow of progress only goes one way. No retrenchment. <clears throat> ever permissible. And in fact, there are multiple examples of whenever the left feels like the slightest uh, feeling that there's a backwards movement, they immediately resort to extreme violence. There is no chance whatsoever that the left as a whole and our entire regime is left. And it, that is the all the structures of power in the West are left and firm believers in leftism. It doesn't mean there's not isolated people who are more interested in lining their pockets than in furthering the ideological revolution. But the end result of liberalism is what we have today. And the only demand of liberalism is more leftism and no backsliding can be permitted. So well, look, I don't, I don't disagree, disagree with you, Charles. I think, okay. So maybe, maybe I'm describing this wrong. I don't think fundamentally the system's going to change at all. I think the veneer, the presentation, the cell, the, the cell is going to change. And the cell will change. The, the modeling will change to, I think Dave Rubin, for example, will be the new poster child, uh, even Lex Friedman. Like this sort of squishy center right thing that is very sweater. I, I'm thinking sweater vests. I'm thinking frocks. <laughs> like uh, the, the title of this episode is Liberalism is Dead, Long Live Liberalism. Like they'll, they will pronounce a death to wokeness uh, as if wokeness is like this far left hyper liberalism, whatever, right? The, the, the bastard child uh, thing this embarrassment that they're going to get rid of to the point where it'll be like, like bring up COVID at, at the dinner table now, you know? Right. Yeah. It just didn't happen. We never yeah. locked down. We never, we never forced Dave, anyone to do anything. Dave Rubin is not near traditionalist and they cannot, for example, give up the idea of gender transition or things like that, which is repulsive to the vast majority of Americans, but they simply cannot give things like that up. I mean, neo-traditionalist implies people saying things that are traditional. And Dave Rubin doesn't say anything that's traditional, except in the economic realm, which is irrelevant mm. discussion. I think they'll flush. I think they'll flush the trans agenda. I think. I think even the Skittles people are are, are up uh, for sacrifice in sense. Like I think that that pride, right? That the, the the pride parade with everyone in like leather collars and all that stuff. That's becoming cringe. Um, it, uh, our our friends over at Kingpill have been doing a lot of really good work at, at looking in, into the Zoomer mindset, and I feel like a lot of the at least the narrative, right? I'm just talking about the stories being presented. Um, the stories being presented is that that Gen Z is going to be the most conservative uh, 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 generation ever. Uh, you know uh, that the, a lot of these things have got to start going to the back to the back foot. 
And it's not like they're going to get rid of gays or homosexual. They're not going to change the homosexual agenda. They're just going to make it look different. They're going to repackage it in, in a different way. I'll give you an example. Um, this might be maybe a better way of uh, showing my point. This is a new Chevrolet Christmas ad that just showed up. This is five minutes. We won't show the whole thing. But I, I will show you a little bit of it, and you tell me what you don't see. I feel you can kind of figure where, where this right. is. Right. Yeah, I've seen references to, to this all over, but I mean, the fact that it's five minutes, it means this isn't a real ad. This is. Oh, no. It, you know what I mean? I, mean, I don't know what this is, and maybe it's indicative of something, um, but I mean, it, it was spinning, it, predicting a return to neo traditionalism from one ad, which is not really an ad, and I don't know why it's been done. It strikes me as probably reaching. You can you can disagree with me you know, you, all you want, Charles. We'll, we'll touch back on this in six You're months. You're loud. Yo, of course. I, I, look, hey, I might be wrong, but I ain't lying. Uh, let me ask you a different question, which is yeah. can you give me a historical example of where the left has ever voluntarily rolled back its its advances? Um, let's look at, well, I, I would say the 19, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, sorry, sorry. Let me defend you. Let me let me answer this question. Um, from the nineteen, if you look at the nineteen twenties to the nineteen forties, right? The nineteen twenties would be would be would be the flapper generation, hyper progressivism, pushing uh, homosexuality, hypersexuality. Twenties were um, There was no ascendancy of the left in the twenties. There was oh, yeah, culturally, culturally there was. Of course, there was. Yeah, but but uh, flappers. <laughs> okay, so it, I'll jump in with that's a fashion thing. In in my defense, uh, in my defense of Jason, even though this is his theory, and I completely, uh, my I wash my hands of it. I'm, I'm neutral. <laughs> um, in my defense of Jason, I don't think it's voluntarily. I think it's a strategic move. But that's that's that. Um, I think it's because they've fucked up and uh you know gone too far and uh it's it's the, the always the downfall that the, their their lack of a limiting principle is their downfall right i agree with that but i think their downfall is binary total and complete utter destruction and defeat or, or nothing enhancement with resort to violence if they perceive themselves as losing right yeah they are the perennial three-year-old yeah you're very good at the pithy summaries. I should. I'm gonna oh, thank you. You fell out of the uh, out of the episode. Um, Jay, did you have any more on that? Because I kind of wanted to pick uh, your brain, Charles, about your entrepreneurial background. Ah, um, the first put the topics. <laughs> Sorry, we can get away from our other contentious topics and talk about. Oh, oh this is what the show is about. We love it. Um, I, well, I, I kind of wanted a little bit more on the the uh, no enemies to the right. Because I had just listened to a recent um, uh, appearance of yours 
I don't remember the show that it was on, but it was it was very interesting because I, I I love the idea. I mean, we're very it becomes I think a lot of people are scared to well, who to associate with. You know, they're like, oh well, this guy said a thing, and that thing could be taken the wrong way by somebody, and they could be maligned by it, and I don't want to get the ookie on me. Right. And that's 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 a it's so pervasive that people are are scared shitless to do anything. And for us. Um, I know I'd heard you say that you are, uh, you, you speak the truth because you're independently wealthy and you can to some extent. Um, I have, uh, I'm definitely not independently wealthy, but I have, I'm an entrepreneur. I have it actually as a a beauty products company for many years. Oh, really? I work somewhat independently in real estate. So I'm somewhat pretty much self-employed. So I kind of got to the point where I'm like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to tell the truth. And if people have a problem with it, there's lots of people. So, um, yes, <laughs> that's awesome. Is there a question in there? Well, what's what kind of beauty products? Um, skincare, hair care. We started here about 15 years ago. I mean, not in a liberal way, but in a in a I'm an old school hippie kind of way. It was uh, made in Canada with natural organic ingredients, no parabens, uh, very little preservatives. Did you make it yourself or outsource? We do 50-50. Some of it's contract manufacturing. Some of it's our own uh, our own formulas, and, and we'll manufacture in-house. And then we sold it to salons and spas, tried to get into the distribution game, and sort of hit that ceiling where we could never get the economies of scale ordering enough to be able to sell it to a distributor cheap enough to have the, a profit margin. So we sort of scaled it back in that. So I kind of wanted to know, what, what did you do, and what was your story there? Yeah, I mean, I, I was a contract manufacturer for 15 years of personal care products, sometimes called beauty care products, hair, mm-hmm. mostly, yeah. mostly hair, 80% hair. But so contract manufacturer, as, as the viewers may or may not know, is the people who are behind the brands. We Very few brands do their own manufacturing, at, at least at scale. They outsource manufacturing in the personal care business. So our, our name of my company, which I sold in, in 2020, which is, which is why I can't be canceled, uh, is... Uh, uh, our name wouldn't appear on, on packaging, but right. I, I can go into any uh, any big box store and see how yeah, no it could. But I was running the company. A significant number of products there were made by by us. And so, uh, I mean, I, I really enjoyed that that business. But it, it, as a brand, it's much harder to get traction in the personal care uh, business because, as you say, you have this kind of uh, – it's easy to do a small-scale business and – it's hard to get from there to a large scale business for the reasons you identify. Yeah. So you, you're aware like how basically L'Oreal, it's kind of like the parent company that owns all the other companies. If you're going after salons and spas, they'll come in, they'll build the people, they'll build them a salon if they carry their products. Like there's a, there's a big game, but um, I wonder if I've ever purchased any of your products. So you would own the lab, right? You make the stuff, the yeah. brands come to you. They say, I need a shampoo. By the end, this, I, is, this is definitely Mark's, whole like no, <laughs> totally off topic. i don't even know if we have an audience for this but i find it interesting no, no, well, no, I, but... I, I, i've written several pieces on this and people always seem to, to like those pieces in particular i mean by the end we had four hundred thousand feet under roof so i mean this is a, a massive wow. scale up not a manufacturing that includes warehousing but i had sixty thousand foot of foot of, of manufacturing operations i was you know i had a reverse osmosis system that made 500,000 pounds of purified water a day. Mm-hmm. This is a large scale operation wor- working at 25% EBITDA. 
EBITDA margins. Um, I mean, we, we refuse to compete on price. So, you know, unlike most people think of contract manufacturing as a bitch business, but it, you know, we managed to make it profitable for a variety of reasons. But the problem is that when we were early on, we were, we wanted to help small struggling businesses. And as we got bigger, we didn't want to help because the economies of scale for us weren't there. And so the problem is that right. there's a lot of contract manufacturers and most of them suck. And that's what, what the, not sucking was basically the reason for our success. <laughs> and so, you know, you, but uh, like I, I would have. That's, that's it. That's the secret, everyone. Don't suck. Well, it, I, it's true. And they, I've written on this so people want more information. It, it's uh, it, it's all there. But like L'Oreal is a good example. Like L'Oreal would come knocking every couple of years and then we'd have totally unproductive Call. Same thing for Procter and Gamble. Like Procter and Gamble would come calling, say, you know, we were in Indianapolis and they're down the road in Cincinnati, and they're like, we really want to do business with you. And then they bring like ten people, and I'd give them the high hard one. They'd say like, well, our terms are ninety days. I'm like, nope, thirty days. <laughs> and like, I just like be complete a complete dick. And then they go away. I mean, you so so you can do that at at, at some level, but it's as a contract manufacturer, it, it, yeah, you got your own problems, but being being a brand is just hard. I mean, I just mm -hmm. I have a tremendous admiration for anyone who can bridge that gap because you're always like one step from total disaster. Whereas a contract manufacturer, as long as you run it right, you're not just going to go out of business because no one will buy your stuff. Right. And at least you're on one end. I mean, I've been in that middle, that really squishy long term where you end up, you know, you got you to gotta put 50 down and then maybe you can get net 60 days after delivery. But then all your clients, you end up basically running a collection agency because you're dealing with entrepreneurs on the end and you're giving them 90 days just to start or else you're doing consignment and and yeah you just get i was vicious about the terms like i i, I had all sorts of phrases that, they, that that my team would would like repeat like mantras but one of them was people would ask me for extended terms and i would be i am not a bank <laughs> uh, so, uh, but i mean i was a notorious dick and seemed to seems to have like worked out really well for me that's my other advice for business people out there the customer is almost always wrong um, <laughs> Amazing, yeah. Free to tell the customer that because you know, like it or lump it. Um, but you know, <laughs> don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> yeah. And so, how did you get into that business? Then was it something you started <laughs> on your own, or I used to be a mergers and acquisitions lawyer many years ago, and I wanted to be that would make me enough money. Uh, and uh, and so I quit that and started looking for a business to buy, and didn't have any savings or anything. My wife was pregnant with our second child, and so I was just looking around for like defunct businesses to buy some of their assets. So one mm -hmm. week I bid on the assets of a concrete cutting and coring business and didn't get that. And then the following week, this contract manufacturer was being liquidated by the bank, and I they were they sold their assets for like six million bucks and i i scraped together 50 grand and, and bought 50 grand worth of that six million bucks no customers or anything no place to put this equipment and decided i was going to have a shampoo making business so <laughs> wow and then were you involved on the formulation side as well or was you were you strictly like the numbers guy you no know, initially i mean i it, it, my boast was even to the last day i could in theory run every piece of equipment in the entire plant uh in theory I might have had trouble with some of the things, but yeah, right. no, I did everything at first because it was just me, including the chemistry. Uh, wow. Didn't mean I was any good at it, but it meant I could. I, I knew. I mean, to, I, I, one of my party tricks, which is not really in demand at parties, is to take any personal care product and explain what each of the ingredients does. Um, no one that asked. Was my me. job for many years. <laughs> what is a paraben? Yeah, what is a paraben? Um, but yes, yeah, so, uh, yeah I, I, by the end, of course, I was just the numbers guy and the, just the kind of 
gravitational center around which everything revolved. I would just put more oatmeal in it. I think that's the, that's works the too. marketing, right? Like it's, it's, it's oatmeal, only, oatmeal only goes on the label. Yeah. Well, right. You put in actual oatmeal, you're going to have a, a, you may have a bacterial problem. Don't do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, who's, who's to say that bacteria isn't good for you, Charles? Like, oh, we're, we're, I remember one we're, time we had a bacteria problem is our customer once put in real goat's milk and we're like, that's not a good idea. No. <laughs> uh, and and, and the, you got a bacterial infection and then the when you opened it up, the stuff squirted out because of the pressure. Um, so yeah, that, nice. yeah, that, well, that yeah. wasn't our problem because we had warned them, but still. Yeah, uh, listen, I remember you know starting our own formulations. It took me a while to figure out even distilled water is kind of uh, the go-to. Yeah, you need to, because uh, yeah, uh, consistency is the key. And yeah, well, and not having anything alive in your in your bottle helps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the problem is that it, live things tend to get introduced along the process. So you have, to have some kind of preservative in most cases. I mean, you know, yeah. obviously. See, I would counter Charles with you didn't have a bacterial problem; you had a bacterial opportunity. Uh, yes, exactly. Well, I, I remember one of my guys had to explain to someone why it was exploding. It wasn't the customer, and said, "Oh, it was overfilled." So <laughs> amazing. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you uh, many times for, for the appearance. Uh, we'd love to have you back. Awesome. Charles, we are, we are planning on doing a, a friend or fed at the end of the month, uh, end of December. It's going to be a Santa friend or fed, uh, a little bit of a Christmas special uh, and just general hang with uh, past guests of the show. Uh, past, past, present, yeah. and future, possibly. Let me know. So we'll, 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 we'll throw the invite out to you. Uh, thank you for everyone who's been out there. Thanks for the new memberships. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break at the end of this uh, and come back and do a little bit of maybe a Q&A, a, a post-liberal post-show. Uh, maybe we'll try a call-in style. Yeah, it's $2 to join a membership. We're working on volume. Uh and we appreciate everyone who's joined in. We got 34 members in two weeks, folks. I, I don't know if that's a record, but it's it's, it's it ain't more bad. than 33. Uh, Charles, quickly, that uh, your worthy house is in the description. Uh, links are, are in the channel below. Uh, if there's anything last, little things you want to say, uh, nope, this is audio. your time. Some, yeah, check your out the, the worthy house. Everything's great. I do audio and video versions. Bizarrely, like five times. Audio and video. Charles, uh, we're gonna we're gonna sign out, but keep around. We'll, we'll talk to you briefly at the at the end, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. We appreciate each each and every one of you. Uh, we will talk to you again very soon. <laughs>